Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. In a recent ELA webinar addressing challenging health and safety issues in a unionized environment, several of our ELA lawyers addressed key updates from OSHA relating to mandatory vaccinations in the workplace, advice for unionized employers, what to do when employees refuse to comply, and many other issues. And for our podcast listeners who would like to access an on-demand version of the webinar, you can find a link in the notes to today's podcast. So the topic of mandatory vaccines and other required safety measures continue to be on the minds of many of our clients. Sometimes our phones are ringing off the hook with these issues. So for this episode, we invited several of our ELA subject matter experts back onto Employment Matters to expand on this discussion and to talk about some of these questions that are surfacing among employers and our clients. Joining us today on the program are Anna Elento Sneed, president of ES&A in Hawaii, Jack Mariner, a member with Steptoe and Johnson in West Virginia, and Chad Horton, associate with Shaw Rosenthal in Maryland. Anna, Jack, and Chad, welcome to the program. How are you all today? Good, good. Doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me, Tara. Thanks for being here. So I understand there have been quite a few developments on this topic over the past couple of weeks. We have the DOJ's recent opinion letter regarding the meaning of the FDA's emergency use authorization provision, the anticipated approval of certain vaccines for regular use. Now the Biden administration has issued a decision to order mandatory vaccinations for certain groups of federal employees. And of course, we have OSHA's updated guidelines that seem to be encouraging employers to consider adopting mandatory vaccination policies. There's a lot going on here. And unions also seem to be signaling support for vaccination, but some are also taking the position that employers have to bargain over that issue of whether vaccines are mandatory. So Jack, let's start with you. What should an employer do if after bargaining, it turns out that the union will agree to encourage bargaining unit members to get vaccinated? but then ultimately will not agree to mandatory vaccinations. Well, that's a really difficult situation. It's something I've been seeing out there in the world that I practice in. So my answer to that first would be, I'm going to assume this is a bargainable issue, and I'm going to assume that the employer hasn't waived its right to bargain. And so we're at the table. The union's making all the right, nice, affirmative statements about how great they think it is that you're concerned about vaccines, but they're not going to put pen to paper and sign a mid-contract memorandum of understanding that commits to mandatory vaccines. And in that case, my thought would be to an employer, okay, take a pause, take a deep breath, and think through whether this is an issue you are willing to take all the way to an impasse and implement and what that's going to mean. Or is there some avenue for compromise? And that may be things that we talked about later in this presentation, but If the conclusion is, this is just not something we can compromise, then let me tell you that this is one of those bet the farm kind of moments in labor law, where you better turn your focus back on the process and make sure you have checked all the boxes to get to impasse at the table and with notice to the union 
not only the impasse, but of your intent to implement. So it really is probably a case-by-case -case question for different employers and what their view is on what it would mean to actually carry this through, but that would be the process focus. And I think you're right on this being a bet the farm kind of moment. Are you seeing a, a transition in how strong of a position employers want to take on these issues as time has gone on? I am. The more that we see society moving toward mandatory vaccines as the solution to the problem, the more I see employers leaning toward standing strong on this issue. And again, it's, a, it's an odd dynamic because it's not that unions are saying you are wrong. Implicitly, without really voicing it, they are saying, okay, if anyone's going to take the heat for this issue, it's not going to be the union. By putting our signature to this, it's going to be you. And that's really the posture that you're in. And that does make for strange bargaining. It's almost not your classic adversarial posture at all in terms of getting this worked out at the table. But in the end, if you do have to go through an implementation, it'll, it'll turn adversarial. So that's my view on it. And again, why it's a case-by-case -case kind of analysis. Now, I understand that last week, the National Labor Relations Board the general counsel issued a memorandum regarding some of these issues and what kinds of subjects should be submitted for mandatory bargaining. So Chad, let me turn to you for a moment. Was there anything in the general counsel's memo that touched on issues around employee health and safety? Yes, Tara. In many ways, it was an extension of then acting general counsel Peter Sung-Or's memorandum where he discussed extending the doctrine of inherently concerted activity to complaints about or employees, individual employees, voicing concerns regarding health and safety matters. It appears that General Counsel Labruzzo adopted that in many ways. She alluded to the previous memo. And really right now in this moment, you could very much see the NLRB finding that complaints about health and safety are in fact inherently concerted. And just for some background, for those who don't know, inherently concerted doctrine, that that finds an individual's action to be concerted, even where there's no group action contemplated, even where the individual's complaints or concerns are not a logical outgrowth of group concerns or group complaints. And typically, what's been found to be inherently concerted issues like wages and, and job securities and job security and work schedules. So you could, you could very much see it being extended to employees voicing concerns about mandatory vaccination policies or lack of mandatory vaccination policies. So Chad, let's follow up on that. Let's say that an employer takes adverse employment action against a single employee or a group of employees who refuse to be vaccinated as a condition of their employment and maybe even terminates employment for those objecting employees. Could that lead to a scenario where the NLRB or the general counsel prosecutes a case on the grounds that the employees were engaged in protected concerted activity. What are your thoughts on that? That would certainly be an interesting scenario, Tara, for no other reason than you would have a Democratic general counsel backing employees who are refusing to get vaccines. But you could also see it, you could see it that way or where employees object or refuse to work because an employer doesn't implement a mandatory vaccination policy. But yes, to answer your question, I could very much see such a scenario especially with people who vehemently do not want to be vaccinated and who are going to refuse to be vaccinated, particularly in jurisdictions that are not going to mandate it. And an employer simply says, well, our policy is 
for you as a condition of your employment to get the vaccination. You're not doing so, and therefore we're going to let you go. And you have one or more employees who are saying, I'm not going to do it. I could absolutely envision a scenario where that comes to pass, that a charge is filed with the NLRB alleging that the employee and or group of employees was engaged in protected concerted activity by voicing those concerns and and in some way tying them to his or her employment. Yeah, it definitely seems like it presents sort of a Hobson's choice for employers on what to do in this scenario. Now, Anna, as the moderator for our last webinar, a lot of issues came up on that discussion on these issues. And so from your perspective, can an employer argue that negotiations over mandatory vaccination is permissive if the employer is subject to federal or state rules and guidelines that require government contractors to adopt mandatory vaccination programs? I think over the past couple of weeks, I've been watching the Biden administration issue through executive orders mandates. So for example, Veterans Administration, Human Services are beginning to mandate vaccinations for people, for example, for human services who get Medicare, Medicaid funding, which makes it an obligation on those nursing homes to have mandatory vaccinations. And when the government tells you you have to do it, that's pretty close to mandated. You don't have a choice. And I think those employers have you know, a good argument for saying that they don't have a choice. If that's how they get funded, that's the work they do. They have to require it as a condition of employment, which then makes the issue of vaccination permissive. You can bargain over it, but if the union refuses, I mean, they can't go to impasse on it and you get to implement. And I'm seeing that happen as our state, for example, has mandated it for all state government. And I'm watching to see whether or not that's going to roll into the state contractors who, for example, work with the Department of Education to see whether or not their employees are going to be mandated to be vaccinated in order to come onto school grounds to do their work. And I I think it's, it's going to be state by state. I mean, clearly some states don't want to mandate and others do. And so you're going to have this patchwork across the country where it's happening. Now, if you're a multi-jurisdictional employer working with that patchwork of laws across the country, how do you adopt some kind of uniform policy or stance on these issues? You're going to have a giant chart to keep track of who you can mandate and who you can't. Now, the issue of vaccine passports has definitely been a hot topic. Let's say that a customer or contractor that an employer works with is requiring their employees to show proof of vaccination before they'll allow employees access to a work site. How should that issue be handled in collective bargaining? Uh, I'm facing that right now in collective bargaining. I have a contractor who, well, actually he's a sub where all of his general contractors are refusing to allow them on premises unless the subcontractors employees show that they've been vaccinated, the so-called vaccine passports. And it's a choice for that employer and what they've been trying to do is to push those who have not been vaccinated for whatever reason into jobs that don't have these generals that are requiring the vaccination. And it becomes increasingly difficult, you know, particularly if you're in small markets where the majority of the employers are requiring vaccination of anybody on their sites. 
and it becomes, I guess the word would be business necessity. It's not mandated by law, but you're certainly not going to get any work and everybody will be sitting on the bench. And that's something we really have to discuss with the unions. They can sit on the bench, but they can get vaccinated and go to work. Those are the choices. Do you see in this context that when projects are in a hurry to get moving, that the pressure of just moving forward with it and complying seems to be enough of its own incentive rather than going through the bargaining process, which would normally take more time? It's another way, what they call economic pressure. What is an employer or unionized employer supposed to do if you can't get work unless your people are vaccinated? And they need to, especially in our state, because the economy has really tanked, you know, during the pandemic, that they need to get back to work. And so it's really explaining the economics of the situation to the union and telling them your people have a choice and they can either work or stay home and they move on from there. Now, Jack, let's jump back to you. In the context of private employers and the private sector, non-unionized workforces dealing with vaccination requirements, obviously employers are pretty accustomed to working through the accommodation process for employees who are requesting a religious accommodation or a disability accommodation. In the union context, does an employer have to consider bargaining over mandatory testing as an alternative to the vaccine? And if so, do we limit that alternative to employees who can simply assert a religious or medical exemption? How does that all play out? So that's a multi-part question. The first part, no, an employer doesn't have to consider testing as an alternative to mandatory vaccines. And, you know, okay, fine. But should the employer consider that? I would think that comes back to what I said earlier about you're at a very difficult moment in the life of an organization and the credibility of the organization is on the line in terms of whether you can actually go to impasse and implement a mandate for a vaccine, particularly a vaccine that right now is still under emergency use authorization. So I would think all employers in that circumstance would at least examine whether they can live with an alternative for testing in lieu of the vaccine. Beyond that, for those employees who do have a religious or medical reason to assert an exemption from a vaccine mandate, I think then we get beyond collective bargaining and to the overriding law under Title VII, right? And we're, we're going to have to look at accommodation and go through that process. So I would expect that to be reflected in whatever the final agreement is between the union and the employer about mandatory vaccines, I would think there would be a carve out for the medical and religious exemption to that mandate and some reference without recreating the entire law inside your agreement to that process that's established already that an employer's already have to follow. Now, with all of these issues, it feels like employers are between a rock and a hard place. So let's roundtable these issues for a bit. When we're talking about bargaining over mandatory vaccines or testing, and employers are dealing with trying to ramp up their businesses, dealing with employee morale issues, there's a lot on employers' plates. How can employers best address this issue of what happens to employees who refuse to comply? Well, I can tell you that it has not gone over particularly well to go down the path that they will be disciplined. And yet it's very difficult to step around that issue. Ultimately, a mandate is a mandate or it's not. So I've seen employers 
attempt to navigate these waters by factoring in perhaps putting someone on layoff status or unpaid leave, which is a nicer and more polite way to address the status of someone who, after demonstrating he or she doesn't fall within a religious or a medical exemption, still refuses either a test or a vaccine, what are we going to do? That may be the route. And even that's going to be a hard sell, but it's probably a better sell. Yeah. And I can tell you this because I've seen it recently with clients who have gone to a vaccine mandate they really want it under the guise of a progressive policy, right? You, you have a date by which you need to at least have your first dose. Thereafter, a certain amount of time to get the second dose if it's not Johnson & Johnson. And then if you still refuse to do it, as Jack alluded to, it is an unpaid suspension for 30 days. And that is effectively a 30-day cure period for you to get yourself in the process. And if you get the first dose, you are able to come back to work the first shift after getting the first dose. So in that way, and I can tell you that the union involved in those cases liked that because you're, you're giving the employee numerous opportunities to remedy the situation. And if they elect not to do so, there's not a whole lot that the union feels can be done for that employee. There's this old concept in bargaining technique called collaborative bargaining where instead of having an adversarial approach where the employer says, this is what I'm gonna do, and the union argues back or vice versa, is the parties say, these are the issues. And then you work together to try and figure out the solution for it. Because it occurs to me that the issue with the Delta variant and whatever other variants are gonna come along with this COVID pandemic, and the solutions and the ever-changing regulations, there's not going to be any one answer. We're going to keep having to change everything. And so to start some kind of dialogue, ongoing dialogue, so you can change as the situation changes is probably a way to address it or could be a way to address it. I mean, I'm seeing unions out here ask for that. They want dialogue and input to figure out how to encourage everybody to be vaccinated. Then if they don't, then what, you know, and how to document all of this, because it's, it's going to keep changing. And we're going to keep talking about it. Right. Yes. (laughs) I'm fairly certain with the unions I've been dealing with that the word has come down through their structure to the locals that they will at the very least appear cooperative. And as I started out saying, they will say all the right things about being very supportive. It's Mm. interesting to me to see how far that can go and whether or not ultimately they would support separations from employment for not getting the vaccine or being tested. It'll probably come down to how afraid they are of getting infected or not. Well, and Jack and Chad, you touched on this too in terms of measures that an employer may take in trying to encourage or incentivize people to get vaccinated. But at what point does an unpaid suspension or a temporary leave of absence start rising to the level of an adverse employment action where we got to worry that if we haven't yet incentivized somebody to do what we want them to do, suddenly we're now maybe exposing ourselves to more liability? How long do we leave these issues kind of hanging out there? That's a good question, Tara. And it's certainly a balancing act. You know, I think I may have alluded to it earlier that we settled on 30 days in one particular policy. I wouldn't feel comfortable going too much longer. 
you know, and I don't want to get into the to the neighborhood of constructive discharges or anything like that. So, you know, in, in that case, that was what got us to agreement. But I, I wouldn't go, go too much longer than 30 days. I don't know what Jack and Anna's thoughts are on that. But, you know, either they're going to do it or they're not. So, you know, if they've got if they get to the point where you have to put them on an unpaid suspension, it's because they've already had some time go by where they have not obtained the first dose. So I'm not sure it needs to be much longer than 30 days because that's unlikely to change their mind. I think it's, if it goes longer, it's going to be in terms of availability of vaccines, you know, in more remote areas or smaller states they may not have or long lines, you know. So I know here you have to make an appointment for testing now and all kinds of things. So it might take a while. Especially if we start having booster shots, the lines are going to get long again. Now, one last question. Do you think that employers, what other issues are they going to have to address if they try to adopt mandatory vaccination policies? And are those issues going to differ depending on the industry that the employer is a part of? What I'm encountering now are requests for the religious and the medical exemptions, because that's kind of like what is happening out here. They'll give the exemptions if you go through the accommodation process. But then the question comes down to, because they say mask and weekly testing is your alternative. If you can't get vaccinated, who pays for the testing? If you have to do weekly testing to be able to get qualified to come back to work, who pays for that? And if you have to stand in a long line, who pays for the time you spend in the line waiting to get tested? And that will be a huge expense after a while. Jack, any thoughts on that? I think among other issues that I'm seeing, I know that the religious exemption is going to become an area of some controversy. There are online institutions that are already issuing paperwork to support a religious exemption. And I don't want to sound critical of any particular organization or even get near that. But I think it's going to turn the burden to the employer then. Well, how deeply do I want to scrutinize this? And am I willing to go to that length? Because I think the certifications and the paperwork are going to be readily available for people to assert the religious exemption, that's what I'm calling it, to the vaccine requirement. So it's going to become a a big issue. And further to that point, you, you talk about scrutiny, Jack. We're seeing a lot of clients receiving these requests for exemptions from folks who readily, especially in the healthcare field, we're getting flu vaccinations and they want to know how hard do I push on this now that they're claiming an exemption you know, on, on whatever grounds they may be claiming it all the while they were getting influenza vaccines last decade or, or, or more. So that, that's a question they're encountering. How hard do I push? How much scrutiny do I give this? Well, if you think about large employers and take as a given that a certain percentage of employees are at least going to try the religious exemption, then you're looking at an enormous burden for human resources departments across the country, just across the horizon, that that's where that burden is. And I might even add to that, Jack, is we have a tight labor market in a lot of places right now. Yes. I, I can't recall if it was the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times that just wrote an article that employers want to mandate a vaccine, but they're afraid a large chunk of their workforce will quit. We'll, we'll go to a to another employer that's not mandating. So that that is a major consideration as well. Well, this is certainly a complicated area of law for employers, and we know these issues continue to evolve. 
Anna, Jack, and Chad, thanks so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with us and for joining us on the program. Thanks, Sarah. If you'd like to connect with any of our guests today, please click on their bios in the description of this podcast. Please check out the on-demand version of our webinar earlier this month on these very issues. You can find a link to that webinar in the description for this podcast. Also, please search the ELA website at ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.